Oh God, we hunger for that day when we stand with you in glory. How we praise you for the absolute certain truth we, we know we have because of Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word and your truth, God, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, focus our hearts, focus our minds, God. Take away the clutter, the distractions. We all have busy afternoons planned, I'm sure, Lord. I pray that you would allow the afternoon to be left in the afternoon. That at this moment in time, we would give ourselves to listening to what you have to say. Speak, God. Your children are listening. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to be seated even as I release the children through grade four. And I release the choir to come back into your midst. Thank you so much, choir, for helping us and for the Falcon guys here. And we're just really glad to be able to have you here. We're continuing our study in the book of Acts, and we're looking at the truth that, uh, that uh, God's that the church is focused on its mission, and, and we've talked before about how really this is the mission of God, that God is a missionary God, and it's not like he decided he had a mission when he formed the church. Rather, the mission has always been there, and now the mission has a church, and, and so the reason we're focused on our mission is because God has called us to this, and so that mission is to take the message to the lost, and as we go through the book of Acts, we're remembering that God's power for the church to fulfill its mission and sustain it amid persecution is the Holy Spirit who must be sought earnestly through prayer. So there's this idea that there is power for us, that we have the power of the Holy Spirit is the potential that we have that's sought through prayer, and it sustains us amid persecution and gives us the strength to fulfill our mission. So this is the fourth Sunday of the month, and, and as such this year, we've been thinking and praying about the persecuted church, and today, as you notice in your bulletin, we're praying through the church in India on the second page there, and uh, there's the story of Pastor Suda. This is a true story from India that is on the video that I'd uh, invite you to take a look at now. I am a simple man, and without prayer, I have nothing the testimony of Pastor Suda. This afternoon at 2 o'clock, we'll have prayer for the persecuted church in the prayer room if you'd like to come and join us. But I'd like to call us to just a couple of minutes here to praying for that which we've just been offered as a prayer request. And so right where you are, if you feel comfortable praying out loud, if not, pray to yourself. But pray for those who are persecuting people. That it's, as I watch more of these things, read more of what's happening. It's amazing to me how many times the people who are being persecuted are actually praying for the people who are persecuting them. And so many times we're quick to write people off, but these are people who need Jesus as well. So let's just spend a couple of minutes and pray for the persecuted church. There's a guide there in your bulletin. You can follow along if you'd like. God, how we thank you and praise you for the example that we've just seen. The unbelievable truth that there's people who need to know you and there's people who are given great boldness and courage to be able to declare the truth. And we thank you and praise you for that, God. Father, I think of so many of the people who are persecuting 
and how desperately they need to know the truth. And whatever it is, Lord, that is blinding their eyes, Satan blinding their eyes, that you would, Lord, reach in and allow them to see the love that the people who they're persecuting have for you and for them. Thank you, Lord. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to do that. I have found that as I begin to think about the persecuted church more and more, it it changes my perspective on what I need to be doing and what I need to be about. And so that's why I, I feel burdened to bring it to us. And so my prayer is that it begins to help us realize we're part of something much bigger, and it's that call of God on our lives to declare his truth. And so the book of Acts is a great place for us to be and to be looking at this. And today we're in chapter 4, a passage that we read together, the prayer that we prayed together. And some of you are probably thinking, I've prayed more today than I prayed in my whole life. And so, amen, here we go. Because the title of the message is, We Must Pray Together. And uh, it jumps off the pages of this text. And Luke does an incredible job of helping us understand as he continues to color in that snapshot. And we've looked at how Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, which is this idyllic picture of the early church. And many times we hear people saying, I'd like to be part of the early church and what that looks like. And, And as Luke takes that snapshot that he gives in those five verses and then spends the next few chapters coloring that in, and giving us an idea of exactly what was happening behind the scenes as that snapshot was taken. It allows us to consider what is the snapshot of Calvary Community Church and and, and what's going on behind the scenes of the picture that would be taken of us at this moment in time. And so what we see in our text is that nothing can stop a Holy Spirit-empowered group from talking to God. Last week, we looked at the truth that nothing can stop a Holy Spirit-empowered person from talking about Jesus. And and this week, we see that nothing can stop a Holy Spirit-empowered group from talking to God. And so as we look at our text, the first thing we see is that the people, the Holy Spirit-empowered people, come together. And last week we looked at the text and and it followed the healing that Peter and John had done and they healed a man as they were headed up to the temple courts and they, they went every day to the temple courts to teach and the people were devoted to the teaching, they were devoted to fellowship, they were devoted to breaking the bread, to prayer, they were devoted to being together and they were devoted to the mission God had given them to declare the truth of who he is and making him known. And so as we look at that and we see that, they, they were, excuse me, taken before the Sanhedrin. And as they were taken before the Sanhedrin, they met together and the Sanhedrin said, you can't talk about, you can't talk about Jesus anymore and you cannot do anything in the name of Jesus. And, and they looked at the Sanhedrin and they said, well, I understand what you've just told me, but God has told me something different. And given the choice, we're going to do what God has to say. And that seems like a very bold thing to say, which it is a bold thing to say. And so then they, they left. And as they left, on their release, our verse tells us in verse 23, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So the minute that they got out, they went to their own people. They went and went to their group of people. And I love the way that Luke records for us uh, so much that allows us to know what was happening 
when, when the early church was being formed, but sometimes I would like him to give more information. Who were their own people? I, I, you know, it went to their own people, and I've thought about this all week. I haven't thought about anything else. That's not true. But when you think about it, and I've been considering, what does this mean? Because at this point of time, in, in the passage we looked at last week, it said that there were 5,000 men already who had come to know the truth. 5,000 men and their families is what's implied there. So the church is, is up to being like ten or 15,000 people. So as they went back to their own people, more than likely they didn't go to all ten or 15,000. And, and they went to the temple courts every day, so, so they probably didn't go to the temple courts. The snapshot that Luke gives us is that they were in the temple courts, they were together, they were devoted to the teaching, and they met together in people's homes with glad and sincere hearts. And some of those homes, the way that they were set up would hold 100 to 120 people in some of the rooms. And so I, I believe, oof, I don't know this for sure, but I believe that what happened is when they were released, they went back to this group of people. And they were their own people. And they went back to tell what had happened. Because listen, they had they've just been threatened. They've been threatened. And in Acts 1.8, Jesus said to them, you are my witnesses. Go into all the world and declare the truth. They've been given their marching orders. They've been given their mission, which, by the way, is ours. And, and they were sent out to do that. And now they've reached a, a, great, a great point where they've been told they can't do that any longer. And so when that happens, the first thing they do is go to their people and say, you can't believe what happened We've just been told we can't talk about Jesus anymore, but we said to them we were still going to. Who are your own people? Who are your own people? You know, I mean, I love that we come together here, and I, I, I love that we come together in this large group, and, and as we come together, you know, those of us who know Christ, we're, we're all part of the family of God, those millions received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So, so we're all children of God, we're, and, and we're missionary kids, I like to say, because he's a missionary God. And, and so we come together, we're our own people. And, and some of us have other groups, you know, we have our adoption group, we have, we have the choir, we have cancer support group, we've got our ABFs. We've got our safe families group. We've got these other groups where people can go. And so if something happens and if there's a threat that comes, we can go to our own people. My daughter Tess has moved away. You know that, maybe, if you're a regular here. And so she moved to Schaumburg with her husband Brian and their new baby. And so they live in Schaumburg, and so they've been attending a new church. And they were at the church uh, a month and a half ago or so, and she was telling me the story how she was there with, with the baby, and she was doing some mama-baby stuff, you know. There's things some moms do with their babies, and she was doing some of that. And another mom was doing some stuff with her baby at the same time, and, and they got talking to each other. And that mom said, are you new here? And, and Tess said, yeah, you know, it just started coming. And she said, well, you've got to come to our small group. We meet on Tuesday night. And so... Tessa's like, well, okay. And so then she talked to Brian. Brian said, yeah, that'd be great. So they went that, that Tuesday night. They were, this was a Sunday. They went on Tuesday night. And, and the next thing you know, they're part of this group. And all the women have this text group where they send support texts to each other throughout the week. 
the scriptures that they're reading, the prayer requests that they have, uh, encouraging each other in the word and in other things. And the men have a group where they're doing the same thing. And so they've got their own people now. As they move into a new community, they now have their own people. And so I thought about that, and I thought, how, how does that happen here? How do, you, how, do you, how do you find your own people here? Well, this happened for Tess while she was in the bathroom. So, you know, head to the bathroom. <laughs> but the point is, each week there's, there's questions in your bulletin where you can get together with another group of people. And it might be the person sitting right behind you. It might be a person that you, you meet in the fellowship time in the gym and you sit with someone different than you used to sit with. It might be that you notice somebody new here, somebody you haven't seen before. And when you see somebody new, do you turn from them or do you turn to somebody that you already know? Do you, do you encounter them? Because God is bringing them here for a purpose and a reason. And if you've seen them, it's because God has tapped you on the shoulder and say, take notice. Tess said that as she started in this group, there's already seven couples. And there were seven couples before, and they said, okay, time for a new group. And so they took those, that group and made two groups. And now this group's back up to seven, and they're like, okay, time for us to form two groups. But make sure when you go to church, you find someone else who could come. Invite someone to come. See, there's that idea of we need our own people. We need that. When I face opposition, I need a group of my own people I can go to and say, I've just encountered opposition. I need to be able to share that with people who understand what that means. So what are the ways we're gathering together with our own people? Yeah, big groups, yeah, mid-sized group, but how are we doing that? And, and it intentionally, it, it's a risk. You've got to invite someone, and, and who knows if I'll like them or not, and all of those things. But we're not meant to do this alone, and that's what we see. The next thing we see is that the people pray. See, when, when you have a group of your own people and you come and you say, I faced adversity, that, that group of your own people understand there's nothing I can do to solve your problem. There's nothing I can do to fix the adversity that you've just experienced. But I know someone who can, and so that we immediately go to prayer. So I have people who come to me and they, and they say, I have facing adversity and this is what it is. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, that's huge. But I know someone bigger. And so we stop and we pray about that. And that's what we see the church did here right on. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And this idea of together, as Luke uses this in, in the book of, of Acts, it literally means in one mind. With, with one mind, with one passion. It means like, like together, okay? Like one mind. And so it might not be that they all prayed it together like we did, but there was an agreement to what was prayed. And so, so many times as we come into prayer, one person's praying, but we're all in agreement. We're in one heart, one passion. And so they raise their voices together. Prayer first. And they start out saying, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. And, and this is a recognition and an adoration of God's greatness. The original word in the, in the text here is um, 
is despotes. Despotes is the original word. And what that means is master. Sometimes when we see sovereign Lord, it's talking about Adonai or, or something else. But this particular time, and it's only used a couple of times in the New Testament, is sovereign Lord, it's master. And there's this recognition of the amazing awesomeness and grandness of God. <clears throat> and what you're going to see later in the prayer is they're constantly remembering your servant, uh, Jesus, your servant, you, you, your, your. It's constantly throughout here. So they start by recognizing that God is the master. And he's sovereign and they adore him over everything. They're recognizing that they serve him. And so there's this attitude as they come into prayer of God being great. The second thing we see in their prayer is that they review God's word. And I love this because every time we review God's word, we're able to remember that we serve a God who speaks. We serve a God who speaks. I mean, that's amazing. Really, when you think about it, that God would make himself known, that he's told us who he is. We have a God who speaks. As, as before he laid one stone in, in the foundation of the earth or the universe, and then he spoke it into being. And God said, let there be, and there was. He spoke everything into being. And then, when the time came for, for him to reveal his his plan for redemption, Jesus came. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And God spoke through the Son, we're told in Hebrews. God speaks. We serve a God who speaks, and as we look at that, and we rehearse back to him, and we know the things that he's spoken, we're able to speak those things back to him. And the truth is what we see in the early church is that these people understood in new scripture far better than we do. It's interesting because they didn't have a copy of God's word necessarily. They didn't have an iPhone that had 48 translations on it. They didn't have... But they had an understanding of God's word. At that point in time, the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament... Big scrolls, and they would have gone to the synagogue, and they would have heard the reading, and they would have been excited about it. I, I had opportunity when we were in Israel one time to watch the Torah be brought out and to watch the celebration as it was brought out and, and the joy at knowing that it was going to be read and the absolute hunger for the word of God. And that's what these people had. They had a hunger for the word of God so they could know what God had said because God had spoken to them. And how, how amazing it is for us that the Jewish people had such a love for the word of God that they preserved it for us. And as we look at it and they start to pray back scripture to God, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, there's not a, a reference to that, but that's Psalm 33 that they're praying back to God. It's Genesis 1. You made the heavens. You made the earth. You made the sea. You made everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Oh, my. Oh, my. 
when you look at those two verses and you realize they're facing a threat now from the kings and the rulers of the earth, and these kings and rulers of the earth are plotting and they're rising up against the anointed one. And who is the anointed one but Jesus? Jesus is, is the anointed one. You see, we, we say Jesus Christ, and Christ means anointed one. It's Messiah, Mashiach. It's this unbelievable truth that Jesus is the anointed one of God. And as we look at Psalm chapter 2, and we realize that they take those first two verses, and again, this is a psalm that they would have known well. And in the midst of this, this is a psalm that David, as he wrote this psalm, would have been thinking about the kings of earth and, and the truth that they were considered God's sons at that point in time. And so it would have been talking about all of that. But after the exile and after the Jewish people began to wonder what, what could this possibly mean, it began to take on messianic overtones. And that's how we read it now is through this lens that it's a messianic psalm that, that David, as he wrote it, was looking forward. And I love thinking that it, it is is absolutely mind-blowing to me the way that God weaves everything together. Is it for you? You see, when David was penning this, there was no way he could know a thousand years later that it would be used by the church to pray back to God as it relates to, to the kings and the rulers, Herod and Pilate, together with the Gentiles, people of Israel, to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. These two, first two verses of the psalm speak exactly to that. So as they come back and pray this to God, this scripture that's been written and preserved so that it could be prayed back to God, it's so powerful. And then in that psalm it says, I will make the nations your inheritance. See, when the threat comes against what, what God has called us to do, God has called us to be declarers of Jesus, witnesses. And he's called us to be witnesses. And when a threat comes against our witness, we can say, why do people plot against? Why do people plot against? Why? Because the nations have been promised to Jesus. The nations have been promised to him. So when we go out and witness, when we begin to pray, God, give us boldness as we witness, all we're doing is saying, God, give Jesus the nations as an inheritance. See, they review God's word. They share the threat with God. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Consider their threats. And so they share the threats with God. And enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. See, they express this dependence upon God. Enable your servants. Your servants. Remember, they start out with, um, with this master prayer. Despotes. Master. We are your servants. What you've called us to do, enable us to do. Give us the power to do the things that you have called us to do. Give us a boldness to do the things that you've called us to do. Give us a desire to do the things that you've called us to do. Reveal your strength. Reveal your power. 
do miracles, signs, and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Are we afraid to pray for that? God, do miracles in our midst. Have you seen God do miracles? Any of you? Amen. See, pray for that. And then when God does a miracle in your life, tell other people about it. So you got to meet my Jesus. you gotta, you got to meet him and find out this God who does amazing and miraculous things. Have a boldness. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And sometimes maybe you pray that prayer. Thy will be done. In this book, Forgotten Power, and I, I, I hope you've grabbed one at the Welcome Center. Here's the heart of the matter. And that which should change the way that we look at prayer forever. Prayer is the way God has chosen to accomplish his will on earth. Prayer is the way that God has chosen to accomplish his will on earth. Listen, that's huge. When we understand that, suddenly prayer moves from something that can seem selfish and self-serving to an amazing opportunity to be a participant in the work of God in our world. See, the advantage of coming together in prayer together, of finding your own people and joining in with your own people to pray, when I pray by myself, it doesn't take long for my prayers to get selfish. It doesn't take long for me to begin to, to focus on the things that I need and I want, and, and it doesn't take long for that to happen. But when I pray with someone else, all of a sudden I begin to pray for that other person. And when I begin to pray with a lot of other people, all of a sudden I begin to pray, do you know, when you go to pray, what you're doing is you are walking into the throne room of God. You, you are walking, by, by Jesus, you are walking absolutely and actually into the throne room of heaven where Almighty God sits on his throne. God who created everything from nothing. God who sustains everything there is. God who gives you every breath and every beat of your heart. You are going and standing before God. Unlimited power. What do you ask for? What's the biggest prayer you've ever prayed? Because whatever you ask in Jesus' name, according to the will of God, whatever you ask, he will do. Amen? It's like going to the richest man in the world and saying, got a dime? Right? See, when we begin to come together, we begin to understand. Listen, when we close our eyes and begin to pray for the church in India that's being persecuted, we're there. And we are giving strength to their message. We are giving power to their words. That's how God works. That's how he does his work in our world is through our prayers. We must pray together. And listen, we gather on Tuesday nights for prayer. We're gathering for safe families. We gather this afternoon for a persecuted church. Maybe you can't make it. Maybe, whatever. 
But find someone to pray with. For heaven's sake, pray with your spouse. If you're not doing that, amen? Pray with your kids. How do you get them ready for for school? Do you send them out with prayer? How do you put them to bed at night? Are you praying together with your kids? Listen, if, you're, if you don't have a spouse, you don't have kids, do you have a friend? Pray with a friend. Pray with your folks. Pray with anybody. Pray with everybody. We must pray together. Because that's how God does his work in our world. Pray in your groups. When, when the threat is made against the mission of God, bring that threat to God and say, God, give us boldness. Give us courage. Let us stand. I've been asked, why do we do things the way we do them here at Calvary? Why do we, why, this week somebody said, why do we do worship services the way, why don't we do them like this or like this or like this or like this? Or, there's a bunch of ways we could do this. I believe with all my heart that we come together to know Christ so we can go and make him known. I believe that we come together as a group of people so that we can know Christ. Listen, we're in a battle. We're in a war. Each one of us, we're in a war. And each one of us are a soldier. Each one of us goes out into battle every week. And, and everything about what we go into causes us to believe that we're, we're, it's all about us, it's all about ourselves, and we're, we're overtaken by everything there is. And we forget that we're a soldier with, a, with the best weapon there is. We've got more power in our lives. Listen, I've got more power in my life. I've got the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. So do you. And so we go out into battle. And so we come together so that we can know and remember that we have that kind of power. We can encourage one another. We can step into each other's lives. And then we tap into that power through prayer. And so we take times to pray during our service. And then during the week, we can listen to all these things that tell us it's all about us. But when we come together here, we come together to lift and adore Jesus to praise God. And we do that together. We come together and so we, we sing songs that allow the congregation to come together and, and lift up the name of God and adore him and praise him and, and recognize that it's not about me. It's about God. And it's about his plan for my life. It's about what he's doing in the world. And I'm here to serve him. He's my master. And I need to be reminded of that. And we come together to be reminded of that so we can go out and make him known. And then we open the word and we go through it and we see how was God working in the lives of these people? Because I believe with all my heart that if we believed what they believe, God could achieve through us what he achieved through them. I drive through Walworth County. I've lived here my, all, my whole life and I continue to pray that every single person in Walworth County would come to know Jesus as their savior. And it's not going to happen unless we start talking about it. And so we come together to encourage each other in that. So do we see the threat? Do we see the threat against that happening? And does it bring us to prayer together to stand boldly? Because the final thing we see quickly here is that the period people experience a response. When they offer up this prayer, God responds, and the place where they were meeting was shaken. Could you imagine? 
not living in California and having the church shaken, all right? I mean, could, wow, could you imagine if we, if we finished praying for Perry and Sandy and all of a sudden the building started shaking? How much encouragement would you have to go out and, oh my goodness, you'd be like, let's get 500 people out there. You know, I mean, see, that's it. We're, we are missing the power that's available to us because we do not come together in prayer. And listen, here's the answer. Do you see how God responded? Yeah, he shook the place, but the second place is, or the second thing he did is all the people were filled with the Holy Spirit. All. We don't see many absolutes as it responds. And I think that this is an amazing thing that happened at this particular moment, but I've been thinking and praying, what would happen if we were all filled with the Holy Spirit? What would happen if we were all given over completely to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? What would happen, last week we had the stones in there, what happened if we take these stones out and allow the Holy Spirit to fill us? Because listen, if I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit, that impacts us. It, it impacts what God can do through us. And if, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, I won't point at any of you directly, if, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, it impacts what God can do through us. In this amazing moment in time, as this church came together and earnestly and fervently sought that God would give them a boldness to declare the truth, even in the midst of adversity. And this church came together, the place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. D.L. Moody said, the world has yet to see what God could accomplish to one man fully given over to him. Imagine if we all were. Oh my goodness, think about it. See, the place was shaken. The people were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they began to speak the word of God boldly. See, that snapshot of that early church, that, that little snapshot in chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, that talks about them being devoted to the teaching, devoted to fellowship, devoted to these things, devoted to prayer. As that snapshot, Luke continues to color it in for us. We see the significance and the power that comes. So what's the snapshot of Calvary? If you're visiting, what's the snapshot of your church today? And as it's colored in from behind, are we a people that come together to pray? Are we a people who, who run to our own people with the threats we receive to the working of God, and do we pray? And are we seeing God respond? So what? Are we unstoppable? Because nothing can stop a Holy Spirit-empowered group from talking to God. Are we unstoppable in our prayers? Oh God, may that be true of us. May we be unstoppable. In our prayers, God, may we, may we go to our own people and may we find ourselves given over to prayer, God, and may it be prayer that focuses on you and your mission in the world, even as we seek you for your guidance and direction in our lives. We love you, Lord. What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh.
our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, amen. Would you please stand and hear God's good word for you? Master, despotes, may we be a people who humble ourselves and seek your face. May we be your servants in our hearts and in our action. Oh God of Jacob, may we hear from heaven and may you move in power. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Oh, I release you to a week of work, witness, and worship. God bless you.